You know, this time of year, for those of you who are gardeners, and I think some of you are, this is the time to start preparing things, right? Start cleaning up the old stubble and digging up the ground and preparing it because it won't be long. I mean, what, the average last freeze, and that's sort of a joke anyway, right? Around here, I think, is March the 15th. It would be pretty unusual for us to get a freeze then, I'm thinking. So it's time to get those things in the ground. I think about, when I was thinking about, when I read this passage in Isaiah a while back and was thinking about today, I thought about what a great blessing my father-in-law bestowed upon our son. Because I've mentioned it before to y'all, but it's, it, it bears repeating because it was such a formative thing in his life. And it's, and it's also a good example for all of us to think about ways we can cultivate young people and help bring them up and teach them values and whatnot. My father-in-law had a big garden when I got out of the Navy and we went back to Austin. He had 27 beehives. We raised a lot of honey out there, but he also had a ginormous garden of over an acre. And of course, the bees were helpful in pollinating the, the plants that needed to be pollinated out there. But from the time Ben, our son, was probably, you know, barely big enough to get around, I'd say about three, my father-in-law would take him out to the garden with him. He'd take him out to the farm. That's what they call it. We're going out to the farm. Because it actually was on a lady's farm that allowed George to keep his bees out there and to raise the garden. So they would head out to the farm. Now, one of, the, one of the themes that runs all the way through Scripture, all the way through Scripture, at least from Genesis chapter 2 to Revelation chapter 22, which is pretty much all the way through Scripture, the way I look at it, we read about gardening and plants growing and things like that. Jesus' first parable in Mark was the, the parable of the sower, right? Mark chapter 4, verse 2, he says, there a sower went out to sow, right? Some of that seed actually fell on good soil. Our scripture reading this morning is Isaiah 58. The lectionary is like 1 through 9 or 12 or something like that, but when I was preparing, it's just too good not to read all of it. And, sadly, an editorial comment, I realized that probably for some of you, this is the only scripture you'll hear all week. I wish that weren't the case, and I hope it's not the case. It's my prayer that it's not, but I fervently pray that all of you get in your Bible every single day. Consider the word of the Lord. Shout out. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments 
They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast? But you do not see. Why humble ourselves? But you do not notice. Look, you serve your own interest on your fast days and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it not to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you and the pointing of the finger and the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Please be in prayer with me and for me. Gracious and loving God, God who desires a garden with abundant fruit for all his children. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our salvation. We're talking about this in Youth Sunday School. This particular part of Isaiah is what's known as Third Isaiah. Okay? 
Biblical scholars are pretty much in consensus that the book of Isaiah wasn't written just by one character named Isaiah, the son of Amos, as it tells us in Isaiah chapter 1. But it was really written over a long period of time, and that chapters 56 through 66 are referred to as 3rd Isaiah. Even though our Bibles and our tradition, we just call it all Isaiah. This takes place after the people of Judah come back to Jerusalem after, after the exile. And what we have, we can see in the book of Zechariah. In uh, Zechariah, oh, I think it's in chapter 7. In Zechariah, it says that at this particular time, people regularly fasted the fifth month and the seventh month all the time. But, as the prophet's telling us here, they were fasting for what they wanted, right? And, of course, that's really, if, again, if we uh, boil it all down, that's sort of the problem anyway, isn't it? You know, from the get-go, we thought we were smarter than God. God put us in a paradise and said, you can do whatever you want to, but this one thing, you know? And we wanted to be like God. Sometimes we wonder why our prayers aren't answered, but, but often when we do that, like the people of Jerusalem here at this particular time, they were telling God what to do, right? When in our prayers we try to tell God what his business is, often things don't come out the way we think they should, right? So that's what these people were doing. So the first thing here like in gardening, you got to clear away all the mess. Like I said, you got to get rid of the stubble. You got to get rid of the old undergrowth. You got to get rid of the sin, the prophet is telling the people here, and prepare the soil. Dig it up, dig it up. And again, about this time of year, I can remember when as Ben got older and he was big enough to pick up things, he'd be out there dragon sacks of compost. We were blessed. We had 17 trees in our yard. So if you have 17 trees, you have leaves. You have leaves in abundance, you know. So we would, we would routinely rake up the leaves. We never got rid of them. We had a compost heap that was bigger than the footprint of this piano here all, all the time. So when it got time to prepare the garden, in late February, early March, Ben would go out there and get sacks and sacks, fill up garbage bags of compost, load them up in the pickup truck with his grandfather and head out there, you know? He understood the groundwork that had to be laid. Unlike the people of Jerusalem here, they know everything about worship. They know how to fast. They they worship even though they don't have a temple yet. The temple isn't, isn't rededicated. We read in Ezra until 515. They know everything about worship except the fact that it's supposed to help transform your heart. And the prophet goes on to say, oh, 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 I want to tell you, I want to, I want to read another scripture first before I go on to what the prophet goes on to say about what Jesus said, right? Jesus said there in Matthew 5, that not one jot or tittle would be removed from the law. That he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And this is still 
this is still something we could spend hours on. I was blessed by that theologian from Beaumont, uh, or Port Arthur, excuse me, it's, it's in the same neck of the woods, Janice Joplin, all right? She's one of my favorite theologians, you know, and she's, you know, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, you know? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Deuteronomy chapter 22 says, You shall not watch your neighbor's ox or sheep straying away and ignore them. You shall take them back to their owner. If the owner does not reside near you, or you do not know who the owner is, you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until the owner claims it, and you shall return it. You shall do the same with a neighbor's donkey. You shall do the same with a neighbor's garment. You shall do the same with anything else that your neighbor loses and you find. You may not withhold your help. You shall not see your neighbor's donkey or fallen ox on the road and ignore it. You shall help to lift it up. So the prophet's trying to remind the people, God's not concerned with ritual. God's concerned with your concern for each other. Then he goes on to say, he says, if you'll stop, I love this, you know, this is great. If you'll stop pointing the finger, right, and using evil speech. Afflicting people. Wow. These are the things the people are doing there. You know? If you'll stop blaming. Wow. What a thing, right? Stop blaming. Now, I know none of you are blamers, I'm sure. None of you are blame throwers. But there's still other places we can improve in our lives, right? Even for those of us who aren't prone to to blaming other things. I was thinking about this, and this is, this is for all of us. This is for, this is for me, too. I'm gonna, this is a homework assignment I thought of yesterday, yesterday afternoon when I was swimming. I do a lot of thinking and praying when I swim. Can you think of a time when Jesus ever blamed anybody? Anyway, like I say, that's homework for all of us. Something to think on, sort of a side note. Sometimes it didn't rain. And if you don't get enough rain, your garden doesn't do well. But you know what? I never heard my father-in-law, bless his heart, like I say, I'm, I'm eternally grateful to him for what he did for our son. I never heard him say, well, if it doesn't rain, you know, whatever. You know, he was concerned about the rain, and he'd keep track of it. But you know what? Instead of blaming God or, or nature or however you want to look at it for no rain, he and Ben went out to the cistern, and they pumped water out of the cistern, and they poured it on the garden. Often in our lives, circumstances aren't what we want them to be. But that's not an excuse for blaming anybody for anything. Oh, yeah, sometimes people do things wrong, but again, as Jesus reminded us, 
I better be worried about the two by four in my eye before I try to pick the splinter out of yours. All right. I want to read you this morning in preparation for this. Or so. Of course, there's so many good things in Scripture, and it is health to us and our bones. But I want to, I want to read a little-known Scripture. I think it's a little-known. And also, I'll put in a commercial. I told you, I mentioned earlier again, reading your Bible. If you don't have the habit of daily Bible reading, a real simple thing to do is to just read a chapter of Proverbs every day. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. So even if you miss a day, you can just, you know, like today, for example, we could read Proverbs chapter 9. But instead, I'm going to flip that upside down and read from Proverbs chapter 6, starting at verse 14. And it says, no, excuse me, I'm going to start at verse 12. I don't even know what I'm doing, right? It says, now consider what Isaiah said there in Isaiah 58 about pointing the finger and wicked speech, etc. A scoundrel and a villain, that's what I want to be when I grow up, goes around, goes around with crooked speech, winking the eyes, shuffling the feet, pointing the fingers, with perverted mind devising evil, continually sowing discord. On such a one, calamity will descend suddenly. In a moment, damage beyond repair. There are six things the Lord hates, Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that hurry to run to evil, a lying witness who testifies falsely, and one who sows discord in a family. So Isaiah here says, if you stop doing those things, if we will stop doing those things, then what? We will be, as Jesus said in the words that Sally read from Matthew chapter 5, the light of the world, right? Did you catch that phrase? Your gloom will be like midday. Wow. I mean, think about that. Wow. It's saying... It's saying that even when you are in the mully grumps, right, you're going to be so happy that it's going to be as bright as noontime, even your low points. Wow. I mean, that's a statement. That is a statement. It says God will give strength to all of your bones. God will go behind you. And you'll be what? You'll be like a watered garden like a watered garden. John 15, 1, Jesus said what? I am the true vine, and my Father is what? The vine grower, or you could translate that gardener. I've often thought about resurrection morning, and it said Mary thought that Jesus was the gardener. Maybe she wasn't wrong. The upshot is, how can we be better as apprentices of Jesus, what can we do? I mean, after all, it's, 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 it's all pointless if we don't put it into practice, right? It really is. We can, we'll, be just like the, we'll be just like the people of Jerusalem. 
they go down to the temple and they go praise the Lord and they fast. They do whatever they want to do, but they're still treating each other like dirt. I have a couple of simple suggestions. If you happen to still be a blame thrower, stop it. Just stop it. I'm serious. I'm serious. And there's, there's, there's nothing in your lives that you have ever done that you didn't decide to do and then carry through with the action. If you're prone to blaming other people, stop it. You may fail at first, but when you catch yourself doing it, the next time, again, stop it. Just cut it out. For those of you who don't typically blame others or circumstances or God, just the other day I heard somebody say, why does God do this to me? If you're not prone to blaming and you don't need to work on that, then just do something to help somebody else every day. You know, it talks about us sharing our food with the hungry. I was in prison yesterday. You know, going to prison is so good for me. And I mean that, the truest thing I've ever said. And I was sitting there in prison yesterday talking to a guy. You know, the hungry need our help, but we need the hungry to remind us, too, how blessed we are. And that's what I was thinking about, you know. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, we ought to visit people when they're in prison. And I was sitting there talking to this guy yesterday. I thought, wow, he needs me to come see him, but I need him. I really do. I really do. So if you're a blame thrower, quit it. And for the rest of you, just do something for somebody else every day. That's a simple assignment that will move us all toward being Christ-like. And that is the goal, being Christ-like. The good news is God wants us to be a watered garden, bearing much fruit, and he wants us to help cultivate it. Amen.